This is Speak the Speech, the podcast from Bell Shakespeare. Bell Shakespeare would like to acknowledge that this episode was recorded and produced on the land of the Gadigal and Wangal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of the lands. And we pay our respects to their elders, past and present. But soft, what light through yonder window breaks? It is the east and Juliet is the sun. Arise, fair sun, and kill the envious moon, who is already sick and pale with grief, that thou, her maid, art far more fair than she. Be not her maid, since she is envious. Her vestal livery is but sick and green, and none but fools do wear it. Cast it off. It is my lady. Oh, it is my love. Oh, that she knew she were. She speaks, yet she says nothing. What of that? Her eye discourses. I will answer it. I am too bold. Tis not to me she speaks. Two of the fairest stars in all the heaven, having some business, do entreat her eyes to twinkle in their spheres till they return. What if her eyes were there, they in her head? The brightness of her cheek would shame those stars, as daylight doth a lamp, her eyes in heaven would through the airy regions stream so bright that birds would sing and think it were not night. See how she leans her cheek upon her hand. Oh, that I were a glove upon that hand, that I might touch that cheek. Welcome to Speak the Speech, the podcast from Bell Shakespeare. I'm your host, James Evans, and that was Romeo from Act 2, Scene 2 of Romeo and Juliet, read by our guest this week. She works internationally as a voice dialect and text coach. For Bell Shakespeare, she's been the voice coach on over a dozen productions, including Hamlet, Midsummer Night's Dream, Much Ado, The Miser, and Richard III. Her other voice coaching credits include Matilda the Musical in Australia and London, Alice in Wonderland, Sweet Charity and Pygmalion for the Shaw Festival Theatre in Canada, and Midsummer Night's Dream, The Real Thing and How to Rule the World for the Sydney Theatre Company. She was dialect coach on Moulin Rouge, The Musical, School of Rock, Jersey Boys, Les Mis and The Sound of Music, and her screen credits include Frayed and The Unlisted for the ABC and the film Hacksaw Ridge. It is my great pleasure to welcome Jess Chambers. Jess, welcome to Speak the Speech. Thanks, James. Great to be here. It is so wonderful. Jess, I've, I've been meaning to have you on our podcast for so long because at the heart of what we do, surely, at Bell Shakespeare is is the spoken word, is, is Shakespeare's language spoken by an actor in a space heard by an audience. What drew you initially to say, this is what I want to do? I want to be a voice coach. I want to focus my entire career and life on words. Oh, oh gosh, I could talk to you for days about all the different <laughs> parts of my life that demonstrate a love of words and mm. of language. But I, And I suppose as a kid, it really started from my love of reading yeah. and the incredible intimacy, you know, that that as a child you experience when it's just you and a book mm. and the power of words and of language to take you far away uh, into another world. I suppose, and I'm just articulating this for the first time, that that's where it started yeah. and I'm still a great reader, but 
professionally, uh, I studied linguistics as my undergrad degree in Canberra. In Canberra yeah. at the mm-hmm. the ANU, mm-hmm. and loved phonetics, the which is you know the smallest segment of sound and of language mm-hmm. that you could possibly um, burrow down to. But I loved doing drama and yeah. and I loved the world of the theatre and the people, my, the friends that I met at, at, at Canberra Youth Theatre. So I wanted to find a way that I could use language and sound to earn money. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and while I was at ANU, I would spend all my pocket money on the weekends getting the bus from Canberra to Sydney to see theatre, to mm. see shows. Mm. One year I set myself a challenge of seeing 52 professional productions, oh, wow. Wow. which you can't do in Canberra, right? Just sure, sure. There's not a, there aren't enough shows visiting Canberra. Did you manage it? You saw? I saw 52 professional oh, shows yeah. and I bought the program. Every show I went to, I yeah, bought right. the program yeah. and I would read it, you know, every word in the program I would mm. read. And I started to see this title voice coach, voice and text coach, mm. dialect coach. Mm. And I thought, I don't know what it was, but it piqued my interest and I thought, what is that? So I wrote to Charmian Gradwell, my great colleague who was at Sydney Theatre yeah. Company for a long time, and I said to her, what is your job? I think I might be interested in it. Can I take <laughs> you for a cup of tea and you tell me about it? Wow. And she was very generous and mm. she did just that. And I said, yes, yes, after she described to me her job, I said, yes, that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she said, well, well, come along and follow me around a rehearsal room and see what it looks like day to day. Okay. And, and you can um, see if it's truly what you're interested in. Mm-hmm. And so I did that and it was. And she said, well, now you need to go to London and you need to go to Central School of Speech and Drama <laughs> and train properly. You Is know. that where she went? That's where Central, she went. Yeah. And and that's where arguably all the great voice coaches right. internationally right. trained. Mm-hmm. It has a real um, long history of training voice coaches. Mm-hmm. And in Australia, when I was ready to train, there wasn't an option to train here. Okay. You can at NIDA now and, and you used to be able to when Bill Pepper was at NIDA. He would train voice coaches, but there was a gap right. and I sort of fell into that gap. So mm-hmm. central in terms of formal um, training in an institution was not, it was the only option, but it was also the best option, mm. I think. Um, so that's what I did. And and I did my first show at Bell while I was still a student at Central, Henry Five. I came home on one of my breaks to oh, do yeah. that yeah. and then... I was off and running. So how do you audition as a voice coach for, for a drama? I mean, if you're an actor, you, you do your pieces and you audition. How do you mm. apply to get into Central as a voice coach? Well, you do have to do an audition. I had to I had to speak a piece of poetry and mm-hmm. I did a um, Pablo Neruda poem, right. which was very nerve-wracking. And, you know, like me speaking the Shakespeare today, it's uh-huh. – Coaching actors in words is very different from doing it yourself sure, and it's yeah. very, I felt a lot of pressure today and it's very nerve-wracking. <laughs> and I actually now I make a concerted effort not to speak the words for an actor, you know, to help them to right. find the most yeah. effective way of speaking mm-hmm. it. But when I auditioned for Central, I spoke that poem and it, and I had an interview and I think maybe I wrote an essay too about why I wanted to yeah. be a voice coach and yeah. where I saw myself going. Yeah. Mm. Let's talk about Romeo then. You chose this speech. You love it. The imagery in it is so powerful and beautiful. Why did you choose Romeo? 
I could have chosen honestly any of Romeo or Juliet's speeches because there's something about their youth and their wide-eyed wonder, Mm -hmm. you know, that Mm -hmm. that, that we see in speeches like this when he sees her appearing on the balcony, I that I, I suppose I sort of feel like I go around the world like that, like <laughs> it's wide-eyed and naive and excited for everything that's coming at me so I can relate in lots of ways to Romeo and Juliet. That's very sweet. And uh, and because I suppose, especially, especially those first couple of lines of this speech, mm. it doesn't work unless the actor's voice is working and I suppose even before you get to the voice, unless the actor is connected to their breath. Mm. What, do you, what do you mean by that? So how, how do you talk an actor through that first line? He's got to breathe her in, right? He's got to, before he even speaks, mm. he has to take a moment to see her see with her. his eyes mm. and then to take a lovely ginormous breath that falls right down to the depths of his belly. Right. And then he speaks from that place and the the words come out. He has no choice but to speak the words. Mm, mm. And uh, I like the idea, and Peter Peter Evans often talks about this, that that the character finds the words to describe what they're feeling in in Shakespeare. It's almost like Romeo has never spoken these words before. And so so the actor has to find a spontaneity, has to invent the words almost out of thin air. How do you teach an actor to be spontaneous while also being super prepared? I think that's it always comes back to the breath, right? Mm. That that's that that's how an actor allows themselves to be affected yes. and uh, to experience the moment afresh every time they come to it. Mm-hmm. And there's a connection with the audience as well with a speech like this, isn't there? That's really, really crucial because Romeo is seeing her, but then he's also relaying what he sees back through to us, mm-hmm. uh, to the audience. It's very intimate. So it's it's a very private and intimate moment, but also needs to be shared with, you know, 400, 600, 800 people. How do you do that? How do you share such a little intimate moment with so many people, a big audience? Yeah, that's such a great question, James, because if, if there's not a sense of it being intimate, mm. then it becomes presentational and yeah. really difficult for the audience to connect to. So there definitely has to be a balance. And that's why it's great for the actor to start with the intention of just communicating maybe to one person Mm -hmm. or to the person in the front row. Often, once the actor is clear with the thought and what they're saying, if they can then speak those thoughts to the people in the back row of an auditorium, everyone else feels included, you know. Um, Actually, it's if we get too intimate and we're speaking to the people up the front, we're cutting off everybody yes. else. So, but they have to be careful not to push as well. So there's a balance there between sharing and reaching that back row, but not not pushing your voice. A hundred percent. It's got, it's not actually a uh, a physical thing. It's not mm. about volume. It's yeah, about right. working your imagination. Okay. Hard. Yes. Yes. Okay. But also Shakespeare gives you tools. Like you look at a speech like this, there are three times when he says, oh, Mm. (laughs) it is my lady. Oh, it is my love. Oh, that she knew she were. Oh, that I were a glove upon that that hand. What do you do with a big fat bow that Shakespeare gives you like that? What does an actor do with that? Well, some people will disagree with me, James. This is a bit contentious. But I would always give an actor permission for that oh 
to come out in whatever form it comes out. It doesn't need to be an O vowel yeah. necessarily. Mm-hmm. Although usually and hopefully you'd get there, but in a rehearsal process, the actor must have permission for that moment where the O is written in the line. The O the O carries with it something bigger than a word, mm. something that cannot be articulated, a feeling, yeah. you know. Yeah. Sometimes it might come out as a groan yeah. and the actor might actually write in, cross the O out and say, write groan. Groan, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or um, in this instance with Romeo, it might be a sigh, you know. Mm. Oh, it is my love. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It doesn't have to sound like an O. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, I mean, the other thing I love about it, so many things to love about the speech, but I love that Shakespeare gives us the stage directions through the speech. You know, he says, see how she leans her cheek upon her hands. So as Romeo's narrating, we understand visually what's going on. It's yeah, brilliant. Yeah, it's very, he was very clever, wasn't he? <laughs> well, and I think actually going back to the O's, they you could read those as stage directions uh-huh, as well, uh-huh. you know, because he didn't write them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's very few stage directions. I noticed that it says the stage direction that there is in this speech says, enter Juliet above at her window. And we often think of this as the balcony scene. Mm. There's no actual suggestion that there is a balcony in this scene, is there? It's just a window. Yeah, that's right. I, and I don't know. You might know more about how we came to think of it as the balcony scene. Mm. But mm. no, it, it, he didn't tell us that it should be a balcony. Yeah, what light through yonder window breaks, not across what balcony breaks. It's, <laughs> it's a window. And, the, of course, the beautiful imagery in this, the sun and the moon and the stars and, and the cosmos, and this goes all the way through this play. And this is your bread and butter, isn't it, Jess Chambers? This is this is where you really sink your teeth in and get the actors to explore, right? Yes, exactly. And this is what I love going back to my uh, my starting my career with a love of phonetics. Mm. You know, it really mm. is I'm a sucker for vowels and consonants and how <laughs> we can use them to paint the imagery, you know, uh-huh. that what do you do with the vowel in the word fair or, or even better, arise mm. to help us picture the sun uh, the sun rising, mm. you know. Mm. If you squish that long vowel, that long I vowel and we get arise, mm. well, that doesn't help the audience. It doesn't help the actor. And so in turn, it doesn't help the audience to picture the image that he's articulating. So Mm, mm. the long vowels especially um, are are so useful in painting imagery, which obviously is rife in Shakespeare, Mm. and the consonants too, moon. You know, if you Mm. as the actor have really let yourself experience those consonants, then we as the audience um, see the image of the moon, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Is there an issue, do you think, uh, with the Australian voice in particular, there's kind of a flatness in the way and you know, we keep our mouth shut and we mm. kind of keep our keep our emotions in check and our vowels kind of tight? Um, is there more of an effort that you need to make as a voice coach to draw that out of uh, Aussie actors, do you think? I don't think so. I think the challenge always working with Australian actors and Shakespeare is giving them permission to speak Shakespeare in their own voice and that's what we're all about at Bell Shakespeare, right, and what part of John's um, ethos when he established the company is that Shakespeare does not require an RP, a received pronunciation accent, Mm. um, 
and that makes it all the more accessible for our Australian audiences. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Hey, Jess, going back to your first experiences of obviously reading and loving drama at school and so on, when was it that Shakespeare first came on the horizon for you? When when did you first encounter Shakespeare? Was it through a teacher or uh, in the Canberra Youth Theatre? Where was it? No, it wasn't. I I remember doing it at school and entering the... Shakespeare competition, yeah, right. you know, yeah. I forget what that's called, but where you do a duologue. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember what I performed. I remember speaking Shakespeare in my speech and drama exams, oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a very speech and drama way, you sure. know, or I probably spoke in an RP accent to mm-hmm. do that. Um, I remember... I remember not knowing what I was saying when yep. I spoke Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And in fact, and this might be letting letting you in on a little bit too much of myself, James, <laughs> but I remember not, uh, not quite knowing, not quite understanding Shakespeare's language even when I started working on it, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and it's really been the last uh, however many ten years mm. where that when I've worked on so much Shakespeare that I have come to understand and be mm. able to unpick Shakespeare and unpack Shakespeare and come to love Shakespeare. Yeah. It really yeah. is my it's my work at Bell Shakespeare that has been the greatest introduction to Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are the challenges of working as a voice coach? And, and uh, the reason I'm asking this question is that in Australia we don't have the same culture as actors of continuing education. We kind of finish our three years drama school and go, okay, we're done now. That's it. We've, mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, say in the States, everyone is used to doing drop-in classes and voice classes and improv and so on. Are there challenges around that with you being a voice coach coming into a company and going, right, I'm going to whip you guys into shape and actors saying, no, no, we're fine. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Do you have that? I think every voice coach is at risk of having that because actors are the experts, right? You, they have done the training uh, that they need to, or not done the training, but they they've got the job. Mm-hmm. They've got the skills they need to to do the job. Yep. So it's really important as a voice coach that I don't come in as the expert yeah, and I right. think that that's a huge reason that I'm successful in my role. I'm the cheerleader, you know, and I'm <laughs> the best friend. I'm the support person right. yeah. rather than the expert. Gotcha. And mm-hmm. so that has allowed me to build really fruitful relationships with actors mm-hmm. uh, where they appreciate my support and don't see me as trying to be their teacher. Mm-hmm. I think with Shakespeare I'm really lucky because a lot of actors don't feel confident with Shakespeare okay. mm-hmm. uh, or they discover as they start to work on it that there is still so much more to learn about yeah. it for all of us. Shakespeare is never done, you mm. know. For example, Hamlet that we've been working on now, I started working with Harriet Gordon-Anderson on Hamlet two and a half years yeah, ago yeah, yeah. and we are still discovering things in those oh, speeches. Sure. So it's never done and I think once actors start working on Shakespeare, they recognise that very quickly and mm. so they want as much support 
as they can get to help them to track through the, yeah. the language. And to mine it for how rich it is, you know. I mean, that, that's the joy, isn't it, of being an actor and being a voice coach is going, wow, what else is in here? Let's let's dig it out. Yes, exactly. At the most minute level, like what are some vowels? Like we were talking about, what are some vowels that I can really stretch here? Mm. Or am I using that comma? You know, uh, what if I changed the, the where the stresses are in this line? How does that change yeah. the thought? Or that stuff. Oh, that just drives me crazy, that stuff. <laughs> I love that. Uh, but what I also love, Jess, is that, you know, you work with very seasoned actors. You know, we've got Rob Menzies and, and uh, extraordinary senior practitioners in our company. But then also just half an hour ago, I watched you working with our players, the young company who uh, many of them are recent graduates of one or two years ago. They're ready to go out on the road and into schools What's the difference with the way that you engage the players as opposed to, say, a, a, um, an older company of actors? It's actually not very different at all because yeah. actors love to play. Yes. Actors of all ages love to play and that's what I lean into with my work, with my warm-ups and when I work with a whole company uh, – we, we are playing, you know, mm. it can't be too serious because, yeah. well, and then actors wouldn't want to come to the warm-ups. That's something that someone very wise taught me early on. It must be fun. <laughs> Make it fun. Sure. Make it fun. Yep. Um, and, of course, we, we are storytellers, right? So I, I always try to weave stories into my warm-ups mm. um, mm -hmm. because that's, that is how we engage. Mm. And mm. so I... I do the same exercises with the company of Hamlet as I do with the players, mm -hmm. as I would do with child actors. Yeah. I suppose the difference with the players is they are really green, you know. They're very young. Mm -hmm. Some of them are trained and some of them are not. Mm -hmm. um, for most of them it's their first time speaking Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And they can be really scared, mm -hmm. but more often than not, they're actually really excited. They're so excited to be here working at Bell Shakespeare yeah, yeah. and to and to have the opportunity to speak Shakespeare and for us to help them get better. It mm. sort of is the players is a real training training sure. program. You, that's one way you could look at it. Mm -hmm. And so, I provide them with a lot of support. You know, yeah. I probably do a lot more one-on-one -on -one work with the players than I would get to in a main stage production. Okay. And also, I mean, the other issue with the players, of course, is that they're often going into spaces that are not as friendly for the voice. Now, you know, our, our main company goes into the Opera House, they go into the Canberra Theatre Centre, all places that are, accommodate the voice pretty well. But the players might need to go to some ratty school hall with terrible acoustics it's usually yeah. a basketball court with massive high ceilings or an outdoor space even with the wind howling through how do you prepare a company of actors to deal with those kind of spaces that's such a good question because the players have a much harder job in lots of ways of course, yeah. yeah than a main yeah. stage a main stage production yes because of the way that a space is built acoustically to support a main stage mm. uh, a main stage actor but also because if you're performing Hamlet at the Sydney Opera House, your audience is probably still and probably <laughs> and quiet, <laughs> That's right? right. <laughs> and the, audi the audiences that the players perform for mm. are not. That's and right. they have a job, they have a real um, real task to pull them in, sure. to pull their audience in yeah. or to cut through yeah. their sound. So, Amazing. Yes. And, and like I said, they may not be trained, so they may not be as show fit as mm -hmm. I would expect a 
a main stage actor to be. So there's a lot of work on the muscles, on the musculature of the voice Mm -hmm. and, yeah, on filling a space with your sound Mm -hmm. while also doing that thing that we spoke about of sharing your thoughts with the audience rather Mm -hmm. than just blowing out noise at them. You know, it is is a really delicate balance. So... Part of my work with them is training them up to be loud enough and clear enough in Mm. those really unhelpful spaces. And then also on looking after their voices. Oh, yes, vocal health. Yeah, the preventative stuff and then Mm. the treatment stuff. If they do run into strife, you know, they perform through winters, winter in Tasmania in a school hall, um, three shows a day, for example, and that might be really tough. So teaching them how, how to take care of their voices and, they're so lucky to get that training at that stage of their career because mm-hmm. that will serve them well for the rest of their lives oh, yeah. as performers. And, I mean, they're so talented when they come in, obviously, but when they come out of that program, they're bulletproof. I mm. mean, they, they can basically do anything. It's yeah. extraordinary to watch the growth of that that team of young players. And so you've worked with, with uh, senior practitioners, you've worked with new graduates, and then also you work with very young children. And mm. you were famously the voice coach on Matilda the Musical, mm. both here and in London, working with children as young as eight years old. Yeah. How do you be a voice coach for someone who is a kid and has no vocabulary of, of what you're talking about whatsoever? Yes, that was such a fun job. Working with children, not everybody would be up for it, Mm -hmm. but they're made for voice work because voice work is all about imagery Mm -hmm. and, like I said, storytelling, and they love that. You know, you can ask them to to get them to breathe into their ribs, for example, so that they have a loud voice. You tell them to imagine they have fairy wings in their spine and they're Mm. with you, you know, and they're so ready (laughs) to to pretend that. Um, So... The, yeah, so it's great fun, and I've I feel so privileged to have had that job on Matilda because because it partly because it was a Royal Shakespeare Company production, sure. yeah. there was a real commitment to the voice and text work, yeah. Yeah. and so I got a lot of time to work with those children, and a little bit like my work with the players here. I essentially over a three month rehearsal period, ten week rehearsal period, gave them a night of voice training, mm, you know, at mm. age eight, nine, ten, yeah. that w- that ho- I hope sets them up for a for a lifetime of of um, performing success. But they, it's the imagery. It always comes back to the imagery. How can we? Let's use our voices to paint a picture of a motorbike on the wall. Mm-hmm. Now let's get onto that imaginary motorbike and ride around the room <laughs> while we make sound. You know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's all playing and imagery and kids are just up for that. You're listening to Speak the Speech, the podcast from Bell Shakespeare. I'm James Evans and my guest today, Jess Chambers. Jess, on a show like Matilda, just like any other show, I suppose you do, as the voice coach, you form a really close bond with the actors. Voice is something that's very, very personal. And so how did that bond manifest? I suppose you were almost like an auntie to those Matilda kids, right? Yes, I was absolutely an auntie. I was there all the time. I was the one constant, you know, I'm in the acting calls, the scene work calls, I'm in the music calls, Mm. and then we have our own voice calls. And I was the one responsible for warming the children up 
in preparation for a show and on spending one on t- one time with the little girl who would be playing Matilda oh, yeah. that night mm-hmm. and uh, making sure she was ready to go on and mm-hmm. perf- and carry, not just perform the title role in a show, but really carry that show on wow. her shoulders. Amazing. Yeah, it was it was truly amazing, and I did um, form really close bonds with those children, and they're really special to me. And now they're all grown up, yeah, you know, and they're yeah, getting yeah. their license and <laughs> and um, getting into drama school, and you know, being in film, getting film roles, and things like that. And they're such, of course, children are such a marker of time. But I will always hold that show um, as really really special. Mm, yeah, mm. just interestingly. You're starting now to branch into new areas of your career. I want to hear about why you've decided to study speech pathology and what does that technical skill and clinical skill add to your practice as a voice coach? The, my inspiration for studying speech pathology came out of working on Matilda and working really closely with a consultant speech pathologist on that show because we were working with children you know, who were not finished growing, yeah. we had to take really good care of their voices. Yeah, you know, sure. Yeah. Their little vocal cords are as big as a five cent piece, mm. you know, in diameter. So, or even smaller. So, she, um, Deb Filand, taught me a lot about how to take care of those little voices. And I found that so interesting. I suppose a little bit like I love phonetics, the science of it is just as interesting to me as the creative side of Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And being able to take the science and turn it into a story or an image that makes that work accessible to the actor, I really love that process. Mm. I think it would be valuable for the actors that I work with, for me to have a little bit more knowledge about how to take care of the voice and what to do with the voice when we run into strife. You know, every now and then an actor does come to me with something that is beyond what I know, is mm-hmm. clearly something pathological going on, and we and I refer them on to a speech pathologist, but I thought wouldn't it be wonderful if I could offer sure. them that myself? Yeah, yeah. That's part of it. And then the other part of me wanting to study speech pathology comes back to a love of words and language and wanting to help children for whom that is difficult learn how to find an end to that world, Mm. you know, Mm. support them in engaging with, with sound and word and language. Yeah, yeah, sure. But now here we are in the era of Zoom. Live performance, God, let's let's hope that it will continue and continue to grow in strength and, and that is at the heart and core of what you do, Jess. But how does voice work work over Zoom? <laughs> does it, James? I, Does it? I don't know. I don't does know. It? I, I mean, dialect work definitely works over Zoom and we've always done dialect work online, you okay. know, when you're um, working with an actor to shift their accent for mm-hmm. a specific role that they're having to perform. And Moulin Rouge, that I, which I just coached up because of the lockdowns in yeah. Sydney and Melbourne, I ended up coaching the whole show on, um, on Zoom, right. which worked. But it's not ideal yeah. and it's definitely not ideal when you bring voice work into it as well because voice is about sound in space. Yeah, sound in space. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, mm. and it's about sound, how the listener is receiving the sound, mm-hmm. and that's very difficult to judge over Zoom. Yeah, yeah. 
Jess, I would love to hear from you just a couple of your top tips about speaking Shakespeare. Like if, if you had to have some headline tips about what would you say to an actor, what are your best pieces of advice? Ah, oh, I love this opportunity, James. But what <laughs> my gosh, the pressure. I could go on and on for hours. Go on, whatever you like. I think the first thing I would say is you've got to do it in your own voice, own right? Voice. Do okay. not feel just because the the language is old-fashioned mm -hmm. and British, you know, do not feel like you need to put on a voice mm -hmm. um, or be anything other than yourself when you speak Shakespeare. Um, that would be my absolute number one tip. Great. The next thing I would say is take the time to really understand what you're saying. Yes. Work through, you know, it's very easy to come at a Shakespeare speech and to know what the general the gist, gist of it is and to then just give us that. Mm. But that's not interesting. We we want to know the we want you to take us on a journey through the thoughts and the images that Shakespeare has given us. So, you, and it will take you a long time, but this is the work that needs to be done. Go through the speech and challenge yourself to truly understand what each word, uh, each image, each line means, each thought what you're saying in e with each thought mm -hmm. um, because that's the only way that the audience will follow you. Yeah, yeah. And clarify those images for yourself. And, in fact, when you do that, a lot of the voice stuff takes care of itself because if you truly understand what arise, fair sun, what that means, mm. there's no way you can squash those vowels, sure, you sure. know. Yep, yep. Um, mm -hmm. So that would, be, that would be my next tip. Mm -hmm. And then... Shakespeare didn't write punctuation, right? Mm, we know not, this. Not so much. Not yeah, so much. Yeah. We've definitely got a lot more punctuation now than he would have had in mm. the in the more recently edited versions. Yep. But I think the punctuation is so useful for mm. an actor in tracking the thoughts. Yep. So that's the next thing that I would look at. Mm. Where are the full stops? How many thoughts are in this speech? Right. Where are the commas? And what does that mean that there's a comma there mm. or a colon? What's the difference between a colon and a, and a comma? Mm. And these kind of details, that would be the next thing that I would encourage you to look at. I love that. So own voice. Mm -hmm. What was the second one? <laughs> <laughs> I think Will Adam made such an impression on you. <laughs> own voice what are you saying what, you what are you that's saying right, that's right. okay so acting 101 okay <laughs> so own voice specificity of knowing what you're saying and punctuation and making sure that you attend to the punctuation mm -hmm. and the structure of those lines yeah. uh one thing that I sometimes see with the younger actors is the tendency to drop off the thought at the end of a line as well. Mm -hmm. And I know that you often do that as well as remind us, you got to drive a thought right to the end, right? A hundred percent, because especially in a regular line, you know, a regular line of Shakespeare's has 10 beats and the 10th beat is a strong beat. Mm. So often the word at the end of the line helps to land the whole the, the whole line, yeah. the thought. Uh -huh. um, you know, it is the east and Juliet is the sun. If we don't hear sun, we've lost the whole image, gotcha. the whole idea that Romeo is articulating. Mm. So those last words are really useful. Yeah. And, you know, often you can go down 
the right-hand side of a Shakespeare speech and just speak the last word of each line out and you've got a little bit of a summary of the thoughts of oh, the speech. Can, can you just do that for the first uh, little bit of that speech? Yeah, sure. So yeah. we have breaks, sun, moon, grief, she, envious, green, off, love. Wow. It, it, it almost tells the whole story it's, it's of the, the whole speech. Story. Isn't yeah, that extraordinary? Yeah, it's so powerful. That's ama- I love that. So f- paying attention to those final words in the line, so crucial. Jess, this has been lots of fun. I love talking to you. Just before we go today, we've got a little segment which we call the final five. So I've got five quick questions for you. We need five quick answers. Okay, you ready? Okay. All right, here we go. Number one, which do you prefer, the lover, the villain, or the fool? Well, I already told you I walk around the world with my eyes wide open in wonder, so I'm definitely the lover, definitely. You're the lover. Wonderful. What is your most underrated Shakespeare play? I'm going to say King John. I don't know King John very well, but Mm -hmm. I do know Constance's speech. Oh, yes. And I think we should hear that more often. Who's your favourite artist that you'd love to work with who you haven't worked with already? I'm going to cheat a little bit on this one because I got to work with her two years ago in Hamlet. Lisa McCune played Gertrude. And very briefly. Very briefly. Yeah. That's that's right before it was cancelled. Yeah. And I was a massive Blue Heelers fan <laughs> in the 90s. Don't tell her. Don't tell her I was fanning, fangirling her. Yeah, but that great. was a real highlight. That was a thrill for sure. Mm. Hey, what is the dream Shakespeare play that you'd love to work on that you haven't done a voice coaching session on yet that you'd love to work on? I've never worked on Taming of the Shrew. Oh, wow. And I think that would be for Katarina's word play, Mm -hmm. that would be uh, so, yeah, that would be a bit of a thrill for me. Yeah, tough, tricky play. Tricky and, and tricky contentious play. these yeah. days, right? Well, but know. but let's unpack those ideas. I'd oh. love to do that. And just if you weren't working in the performing arts, what would you be doing? I'd be a flight attendant. I really, really? yeah, I would have loved <laughs> to be a flight attendant. Because wow. but you know, yes, because I By all accounts, I have a very dear auntie who's a flight attendant and by all accounts, it's actually not that different to work in the arts. You've got long hours. It's kind of odd. No one really understands what your day-to-day life looks like and you become a real community. But alas, I was not tall enough. I'm too short to be a flight attendant. Are you serious? There's There's a height bar, is there? Yeah, there's a height bar because you have to be tall enough to lift uh, well, it's not, no, it's not about luggage. I think it's about emergency evacuation oh, and how tall you are uh-huh. to move bits around. But yeah, I, wow. I wasn't tall enough, devastatingly. So I had to. Did you seriously like try out for it and, yeah. and look into it? <laughs> <laughs> I have definitely. Every now and then I do look at whether Qantas is hiring and they've changed the, whether they've changed the height requirements. <laughs> Oh, Jess. Well, I'm glad that we uh, have got you and that Qantas doesn't. Thank you so much for joining me today on Speak the Speech. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks, Jess. Thanks, James. Bell Shakespeare is Australia's national Shakespeare company. We perform in theatres and schools in every state and territory. If you'd like to support our work or to learn more about what we do, please visit bellshakespeare.com.au. Speak the Speech is produced by Bell Shakespeare and edited by Camillo Zanoni. Be sure to follow at Bell Shakespeare on social media and don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the Speak the Speech podcast through your listening platform.
I, I and you, I didn't hear the T at the end of fair, two of the fairest stars. Oh were, yes, James. You said, fairest, you said fairest stars. So James, that's so good. Well, do you like to that's... join the voice team at Bell Shakespeare? Because I could use another. Person uh, listening out for all, all like I that. know, I've learned from you, Jess. So that's that's just <laughs> that's just sending it straight <laughs> that's back. Very kind. Okay. 